All right. Well, I wonder how many of you have ever fished. How many, how many of you have been, have been fishing? All right. I think we got half and half here at least. How many of you have fished on the Sea of Galilee? A couple? Have you, Lupe? No, okay, but you want to. In your dreams. Let's do it. Yes, I think we can as a church one of these days. We'll do that. Um, I, I would love to have seen Jesus uh, as he came up there on the Sea of Galilee. Uh, Peter was a fisherman. Peter was a fisherman. This was uh, Sea of Galilee. Um, and these are actually a lot of the fishing villages along the Sea of Galilee. As you read about that time period, right, fishing wasn't extremely huge outside of Galilee. right? So the Dead Sea you couldn't fish where Jerusalem was, Judea, where a lot of the religious people were. But, but Sea of Galilee, that was the main, one of the main sources of income and trades was fishing. And so um, you, you have all of these fishing villages, and really all along here would have been, would have been you know, village, city after city, and none of them were huge. But then in between the cities, you would have uh, folks living along the, the, the Sea of Galilee too. It's like a lake. It's more like a lake. Seven and a half by twelve and a half miles. This is where Peter grew up. Uh, he moved to Capernaum, and this is where you find uh, him, uh, where, where he's living when he meets Jesus. He has a wife. Uh, maybe he has children. We don't know. His mother-in-law is living with him. Um, he's well off. He's not poor. Um, he's doing well in life, as well as his brother, as well as uh, James and John. Uh, these four men are doing well with this trade. Um, later on, we find him, actually his wife moving with him to be, uh, to, they, they leave this area uh, as he pastors uh, further away from the Sea of Galilee. But he's a fisherman. We find Peter actually fishing by rod and, and line. Later on, he, he uses that tactic. Um, he, would, he would throw it in there and, and he catches a fish. Uh, and what does he find in his fish? Money to pay taxes, right? Uh, April 15th is coming. You never know, right? There's actually, it's interesting, what they say is that there's a fish that swallows its babies in order to protect them. Uh, and so these little fish love jumping in this fish uh, into, the, into the mom in order to keep safe. And so eventually the mom gets tired of that and will swallow bright things to keep these fish from keep coming inside. And so they would swallow a coin. And so this is probably the, the type of fish, and now it's called St. Peter's fish, uh, that Peter caught, and he looks at it, okay, i got to pay my taxes. Um, maybe don't do that in Hudson, who knows, you may find something. This would probably be the, what we see them fishing when we come across the scene we just sang about. They probably were fishing all night like this. Right? It wasn't the line fishing. I get so bored with that, I really do. I love playing in the water. It's really hard for me to sit and throw a line in there for all night long. Um, but this is probably what they're doing. What they would do is they'd have uh, about eight-foot tall net and then maybe a, even a hundred-foot long in between the two boats. One side would be weighted down. The other side would have floats on it. And so they would be able to do a big circle and actually bring together a big swath of fish eight feet deep. 
what we usually think, and they would have had this too, we usually think, and this is what they would do, even to this day, my brother does this, um, you have a round net, right, a 15-foot round net, they, they kind of put it on their shoulder, and then they throw it out, like just like throwing out a round tablecloth, if I did that, it was weighted on the sides, I couldn't find one, I was going to try it today, but it was weighted on the sides, the sides would sink, with the, the sink, right, the weights, and then you'd have a note, uh, a rope in the center to pull up, and then, then you would catch the fish that were in that area. But you would normally do that in the shallow area. And so um, throwing, throwing as they wait, and then they would have be casting like this uh, in the middle. Uh, and all of a sudden they do this all night, all night long. They've known Jesus at this point for years. And we're going to see that in just a moment. They've known Jesus for years. They've actually left and followed him to a certain extent. But when Jesus comes this time, uh, they're still fishing. They're still maintaining some sense of family business. And, uh, and they've fished all night. And Jesus comes up to Peter as they're on the shore. And he says, I need to teach this group from your boat. And so he lets Jesus teach from his boat. Uh, spends time, time teaching, teaching. Peter's tired. He's been awake all night long. Maybe you're feeling that right now. Um, and, uh, and then Jesus says, he's done. Go, Peter, you know what? You have empty nets. You've been up all night long trying to fish. Nothing in your boat. Nothing to take to the market. So why don't you try one more time? Peter knows fishing. He knows Jesus did not. He wasn't raised fishing. Who's this carpenter telling me how to fish? Uh, I think knowing Peter, Peter corrects Jesus several times. I think he probably is balking and saying, what do you know about fishing? But Jesus says, no, go back, go back in the heat of the day where it's not good time to fish. You fished all night, you've gotten nothing, but I want you to go fish. And he does, okay, I'll do what Jesus says. And probably at that point, they're not doing this large one. They're probably just throwing these 15-foot nets in there. And the, the text in Luke says that they catch so much that their whole boat starts sinking. <laughs> right? the, the whole, and they have to, they have to get their, their cousins, probably they were cousins, James and John, to come and help Andrew and Peter. Hey, come and help us, and both boats fill up with fish. And they look at Jesus as they come to the shore with all that fish. Right, Peter often, uh, Jesus speaks in our language. Right? If you're an accountant, he's going to use accounting language. Uh, he's a fisherman. He's going to speak in, in fisherman's language. Bring all this fish. And, and Peter just bows down and worships Jesus. You are the Son of God. And Jesus says, follow me. And at that point, they leave everything. They leave their family business and they follow him. Uh, and this is what Jesus calls us to today. He calls you to the same type of following. So let's survey this. If, you, if you'll give me a moment, we're going to survey these disciples and their lives and the idea of discipleship uh, throughout the four Gospels. Um, I think it would be helpful if we get a little overview of where we're going and where we're we, where we're. Where we are so far, um, so three big, three big sections to the life of Christ. 
Uh, we're going to say the preparation for Christ. He is the promised one. And we took two sermons on that. We looked at Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John as, um, yeah, as authors. And then we looked at the parents and the child, Jesus' childhood. Now we're entering this, all the way to ten sermons here. Uh, we're, we're entering the, the public life and ministry of Christ. The forerunner of Jesus, who is that? John the Baptist, right? We took a week with that. What we did with that is we actually followed John the Baptist's life throughout all four Gospels. So what we're doing with each of these middle ones is we're looking at this topic throughout all four Gospels. All right, so, so as, as you follow, just recognize we're, we're putting together, like, what is that, 120 chapters worth of content on that topic. All right, so that's what we're doing with these middle ones. Uh, because in order to get, it, get through this in 15 Sundays, we have to look at it somewhat topically for some of this. Okay? So, so then the presentation of Jesus, that was easy because it was just a, it was just a few chapters. But this week we're going to look at the followers of Jesus. And what we're doing is we're doing it through all four Gospels. What do all four, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, teach us about these followers of Jesus? I would look Next week, the foes of Jesus. Okay, so that's kind of what we're doing, all right? Um, and uh, so this is Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, right? These are the four Gospels. And what we're doing is we're, we're charting these themes throughout all four of those. And what I want to do with this chart here, and I realize there's a lot of lines on that. Don't get, don't get bogged down with all the lines. Big picture. It's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And what we're doing is a chronology of each of these themes as they appear. Because when, when Matthew writes it, he doesn't write it in sequence. When Mark reads it, writes it, he doesn't write it in sequence. They do things as it fits in their gospel, but they're not trying to do it in sequence. What we're trying to do is a little bit following these things in their sequence. And I think as we go through each of these themes from 26 AD to 30 AD, what you'll find is when we handle each of these, you'll really know the content of the four Gospels really well if you follow us, with us, okay? And that will be just those middle sections, and then what we'll do is the last five will really focus in on that last week. The last five sermons will really focus in on that last week and do much deeper chronology at that point, okay? Did I lose you? You got it? I just felt like, like I look at this each week, but no one else, like you don't. So, so that's where we're going with this. And that's what this Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John is all about. This is a lot of work, okay? And what it's going to be really neat is when this is all done, all the sequence will be on here and it'll be available for you to look at for your own personal study. Uh, as you look at a text, you'll be able to fit that into the chronology of Jesus's life and see what comes where, okay? So this week, we're going to look just at this section, the disciples of Christ, the disciples of Christ, and I'm going to divide it into three words, and you'll see that in your notes. Three words, know, grow, go. Know, grow, go. As we look at Jesus and how he, he works with these disciples, and we'll see, right, we're going to look at it in a big way, and then it kind of funnels down to these 12, as we understand how he, how he disciples his followers and how he appeals to us to follow him, okay? And this is, I think this is really going to be helpful for us as we continue on. 
So let's jump in here as we look at, at first of all, no. First of all, no. Uh, Jesus knew these disciples. Jesus knew his followers. And of course, this is comforting to us because he knows us. The text specifically uh, that we'll look at actually primarily come from John. This, this beginning one actually is, is primarily John. And, and this is helpful for you to understand uh, because you usually don't learn this. This is, this is uh, maybe usually Sunday school lesson, but I think it's helpful for us as a church to know this. When you're reading these calls of the disciples, John's gospel comes first. When John talks about it, it's entirely different than when Matthew, Mark, and Luke talk about it. Two separate instances. The one I read to you, and the one we're going to finish with, actually came here. They've already been doing a lot with Jesus in this over a year. And I will pick up and continue the story of Jesus, of what he does in this time period. But, but the disciples have not yet become apostles. They have not yet left all and followed him in one sense. They still have this fishing, and you see them going back and fishing at times as Jesus goes to Jerusalem. But Jesus is doing some amazing things even without their primary, primary apostleship. Jesus is cleansing the temple, right? Jesus is having everyone follow him, okay? And yet these are part of those followers, but not to the deepest extent that we will see here in just a moment. So the first one here is John, where Jesus knows his disciples, okay? Uh, So let's just dive into that a little bit. Uh, Answer three questions there you see in your notes. What is a disciple? Uh, What was a disciple of Jesus? And then who were Jesus's 12 disciples? A disciple in that culture, it's really hard to to match anything in our culture. We would see the closest thing as an internship. An internship, but a little little closer like an apprenticeship. Um, I actually find... uh, uh, um, even closer one, maybe in uh, someone following a sensei, right? Or, or like this, there's this style of, of, uh, of martial arts that this one person really knows well and his students or her, yeah, students, follow them really well, right? They really eat, breathe, and drink that type of, and that's the idea of Jesus, in Jesus' time of following a rabbi, um, i got to keep moving. Um, this is discipleship in that culture. A, a, a rabbi, okay, so now, now let's go from just following, uh, learning a trade to following a rabbi. Uh, there would be a Jewish teacher who was, was very highly respected in a village, and then that, that man, that rabbi, would choose a couple people who were at the top of the class to follow him, to follow in his steps, to learn from him, and eventually they would become a rabbi as well in the school of Gamaliel. Right? He was the leading person in the, this tradition of teaching. And then these rabbis would become very, very respected, these Pharisees, like Nicodemus, the teacher of Israel, the rabbi of Israel. And so this is Jesus. Jesus has become a very well-respected teacher. But what's interesting is... Uh, that that the, the following is not just the 12. The following just expands to so many others. Uh, you may have in this village one rabbi 
and, and these two guys would come to him and say, can I follow you? He's like, let me look at your grades. No, no, you don't, you don't, you can't pass the test. Um, Jesus comes to these ones who had been looked over, uh, and he and he allows them, he even calls them to follow him. So, Jesus had many that followed him. What is a disciple of Jesus? And this is what we're trying to get a good concept of. And so, I just looked at the 250 occurrences of this word in the Gospels through Acts, and we find some interesting lessons about who a disciple is. Okay, I'm just going to give a few points here. You see them in your notes there. Who is a disciple? Well, many began to follow Jesus. Right? There were many actual disciples of Jesus. Right? We find that here. Um, actually, several references. I think maybe one good one here. I'll just read the Luke one here. Jesus came down with them and stood on a level place, and there was a, loud, a large crowd of his disciples. Right? So, so like, it's not just the 12 here at the beginning. Right? When you think of a disciple, you think of all these people following Jesus to a certain extent. Or, and, and it actually became to be something like, I am of the school of Jesus. I'm the school of a Gamaliel. Right? I am following Jesus. And that doesn't necessarily mean you've left everything and you're sleeping beside him. But his following began, became large. In fact, so much so that he had more followers than John the Baptist. So Jesus had many many disciples. A large group came. But the call to follow Jesus started, to, he started to preach that, that this was difficult. This meant leaving everything to follow him. Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. So following Jesus meant death. Death to self. And we'll come back to that in just a little bit. But what we had because of that is many who began to follow did not continue to follow Jesus. Here's one case. The young man said to him, all these things I've kept, I'm still lacking. Jesus said, if you wish to be complete, go sell your possessions, give to the poor. You have treasure in heaven. Come, follow me. No, I'm not going to do that. And so a lot of times that happened. As Jesus called people to follow him, they would follow him to a certain extent, but they weren't willing to give everything to him. And so you have this interesting case. Actually, all the Gospels show this. And I, that's why I put this here as prominent. It's a prominent thing. Actually, John 6, I'm not going to quote all the passages, but you had this growing popularity, growing popularity, growing popularity. Then all of a sudden, start, Jesus starts preaching this hard stuff. Everybody's like, listen, we wanted to follow you because we got bread. We saw the cool stuff going on. But you're going to say, take a cross and follow you? I'm not going there. And they stopped following him. John, this is a good one to remember, John 666. Easy to remember. John chapter 6, verse 66. Uh, many left. As a result of this, many of his disciples withdrew and were not walking with him anymore. So they're going, they're following as much as they can. They're getting as much as Jesus as they can, and they're keeping things taken care of, but they're, and then all of a sudden he starts saying these things. I'm not going to go there. Jesus said to the twelve, will you go away also? Peter says, you have the words of life. Where am I going to go? They keep following. And so the Lord encourages them to follow. Jesus was saying to the Jews who believed him, if you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine. Right? So I realize I'm saying hard things, but you have to keep following. You have to keep following. 
And then this is, I thought this was really fascinating. You keep following this, this theme of the disciples, and it continues to the church age. We are disciples. We are followers of Jesus, right? And so you see that. At this time, while the disciples were increasing in number, this is after Pentecost, the word of God kept on spreading, it kept running, and the number of the disciples, those who were following Jesus, kept increasing greatly in Jerusalem. Okay? All right, so there is this large group, But you know what? Often, in fact, most of the occurrences of the word disciple, as you read it in its context in these Gospels, refers to a special group of 12. And so there is a specific sense where Jesus says the 12 disciples. There was a limited group of individuals who were following him, and they were the 12. And this is where it's really precious, where we find that from the beginning, the first calling that Jesus had with them, he knew them. He knew them. And I I can't take a lot of time with this, but let's just at least look at two of them, okay? Jesus knew them. So we're going to go down here to John, John's occurrence here, and just look briefly at Jesus and what he says to Peter and what he says to Nathaniel that shows you that your master knows you. Jesus knew Peter, first of all. One of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He found Simon Peter and said, We found the Messiah! So they stop following John the Baptist, and they start following Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Rock. (laughs) Right out the back. Jesus knows him. He knows he's going to be a rock. He knows he's a strong pillar of a man. This This is forecasting what Peter will be in the early church, right? Acts 1 through 11. And so Jesus knows that. He knows right right from the beginning. He knows you. Jesus knew Nathanael. Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him and said to him, Behold, an Israelite indeed whom there is no deceit. How do you know me? And then Jesus brings up, we don't know. We have no idea what he brings up. This is is like, this is when people do these private jokes. You're like, well, you include me, right? This is what's going on here. Maybe John knew, I don't know. He, he wrote it. And Philip says, this is the Messiah, the Son of God. Because he knows you. He knows me. Uh, what's really neat is he knows Matthew. Um, he knows Judas. Think about that. And he calls them. And he calls them. Matthew hated. He looks at him. We, we have no other backstory. It's mentioned in like four or five verses. Um, right here. 2, 13 and 14, 5, 27 and 28, 9, 9. Just those verses mention Matthew. And Jesus comes to him. And he says, he, he looks at Levi and he says, follow me. And Matthew leaves all and follows him. What's the backstory there? Left a perfectly good pension all the wealth he'd want. And he follows Jesus. He knew them. Jesus knows you today. And you say, why would he ask me to follow him? He's asking you through this message, and I don't know why, but he loves you, and he wants you to follow him. It's that personal. Jesus knows everything about you, and he wants you to follow him. Let's go really quick through the next two. Okay, 
and I, I wish I could just, I can't summarize it, but um, there's this grow, okay? So, so from here to here, they're going back and forth, and here is where Jesus calls these men in the boat. So there's this, all along here, there's this growth of knowing who Jesus is, and I would say that's growing in faith, right? growing in commitment, and growing in discipleship. As they get to know Jesus more, and really you could put all the Gospels. So Jesus is teaching them. He's confronting them. Uh, he's giving, he's showing them miraculous, the miraculous actions, right? That starts all the way back in John 2, 2, where Jesus turns the water into wine. And there's John 2, 11, the beginning of signs Jesus did in Canaan of Galilee, manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. So that's growing in faith. So they start to see what Jesus is doing, and they're starting to believe in him. But then I would say this is growing in commitment, Luke 5, 1 through 11. And that's the story we started with, because at this point, they leave all and follow him. When they had done this, they enclosed a great quantity of fish, and their nets began to break. So they signaled to their partners, these cousins, James and John, the other boat, and they came and they filled both of the boats, and they both boats began to sink. And Peter saw, he fell down at Jesus' feet saying, Go away from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. They're just amazed at what Jesus has done. Jesus said to Simon, Do not fear, now you'll be catching men. Let the boats sink. Now they didn't, but when they had bought the boats to land, they left what? Everything and followed him. And at this point, there is a, a huge commitment, a huge commitment. Growing in commitment, growing in discipleship. Uh, if you, as you read the Gospels, it is, especially Peter, and, and he's kind of our big figure today, it's interesting because Peter messes up so much. Right, he walks on the water, but he sinks. He's constantly confronting Jesus. Like He says, Jesus, don't say you're going to die on the cross. And what does Jesus say? Get behind me, Satan. Right? Um, this is Peter. But he confronts the disciples all over for their lack of faith, for not allowing children to come to him, Mark 10, 14, for rebuking a woman who is worshiping Jesus with lavish expense, Matthew 26, 8, for not having faith to cast out a demon, Mark 9, 17 to 19, for being vindictive toward others, right, John wanting to call down lightning from heaven, for not seeing that his food was to do the Father's will. And again, of course, Peter, um, over and over, he's, he's instructing them, but there's this special instruction, and so there's this He's with them, and, and so he calls them to be with him. And there's this even greater amount of that as we go to this third and last one, from growing to going. And so what's interesting is I did this, I, I didn't really recognize that these, these three years of Jesus, really, it's filled with the disciples really from this point, 2980 to 3080. So it's really just a year to a year and a half that, that he really uses these 12 men. Um, but we find him uh, summoning them, first of all, and then sending them out as apostles. So summoning the apostles, sending them out as apostles, and then resending them. He summons them in uh, Luke six thirteen to 15. When he called his disciples to him, he chose 12 of them, and he named them as apostles. And then he mentions these individuals. We don't know a lot about most of these, other than these fishermen 
And then there's just this tag. You find out this was a zealot. You find out that this one was, uh, was a tax collector, Levi. Um, but we don't know a whole lot about these men other than these fishermen. He summons them as apostles, but then later on, uh, later on this year, from, from this side, the fall to the spring, uh, he then, after that training, he sends them out. And so you find him sending them out in Matthew chapter 10, verses 1 to 42. Jesus summoned his 12 disciples, gave them authority over unclean spirits. So this is happening well into Jesus' ministry now. He's giving them authority at that point, and they start to do these amazing things. Verse 5 of Matthew 10, these 12 Jesus sent out after instructing them, do not go in the way of the Gentiles, do not enter into the city of the Samaritans, rather go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel and preach saying, the king is here, the king is here. The king is here. The one who's in control has come. Messiah has come. This is the message of the Bible. You tried to kick him out of the garden, messed everything up. He's here again in the garden, rescuing your soul, paying for your sin so that you can come back to him. How do the disciples do? Let's fast forward to the end here. Okay. How does he how do they do? When, when Jesus is at the, at the worst in the garden, what happens? They all forsake him and flee. Matthew 26, 56, if you're taking notes there. All this had taken place to fulfill the scriptures and the prophets. Then all the disciples left him and fled. Of course, they mentioned Peter a lot. Probably because Peter is giving a lot of the account to at least Mark. And so he's very quick with saying, yeah, I really messed things up back in those days. Um, Peter denies Jesus three times, curses and swears. What is Jesus going to do with that? They leave him. He trained him. He picked him. Loved them unto the end. Spent his last hours washing their feet. And they all forsake him and flee. Find an interesting text. If you have your Bible, go over to John 21. And, and we end where we began. There in the Sea of Galilee, uh, Jesus has died um, but this is where the story ends in the Gospels of these individuals, these men. And they're back to what they were doing. John 21, 2 and 3. After these things, Jesus manifested himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. And he manifested himself in this way. Simon, Peter, and Thomas, called Didymus, and Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, and the sons of Je- Zebedee, James and John, and two others of his disciples. Not including Judas, this is eight, right? right so there's a, like most of them are following Peter now. What are they doing? They're fishing. They're back to fishing. And what does Jesus do? The same exact thing he did when he first saw him. Listen, guys, I realize you messed everything up. And you know what? 
later on, even after the Holy Spirit comes, Peter's going to mess everything up, and Paul's going to have to confront him. Right? This continues for Peter, this loud mouth. But he grows in Christ-likeness, I realize that. But he says, listen, just because you messed it up, just because you didn't get the nets just right, they're a little tangled here, doesn't mean I'm done with you. And so you find there in John 21, toward the end, he says, follow me. Look at that. Verse 19. When he had spoken this, he said to Peter, follow me. Peter turned around, saw the disciple whom Jesus loved, and said, what about him, Lord? <laughs> oh. Peter said to him, if I want him to rem- uh, Jesus said to Peter, if I want him to remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. And Jesus calls out to you today. You may say, boy, I made a mess of things this week. I-, I made some really big mistakes in my life. I messed all the nets up. Jesus doesn't want me as one of his followers. Nope. He's calling to you from this text. Follow, follow him. Follow him today. Follow him today. Jesus knows you. He loves you. He redeemed you. So let's follow him. He puts it this way. Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone wishes to come after me, continue to come after me. Let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Whoever wishes to save his life shall lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake shall find it. What will a man profit if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Will you give in exchange for a soul? And so Jesus is appealing to us to follow him. As he appealed to Peter, he appeals to us to leave everything behind and follow him. Leave everything today behind and follow Jesus. Let's imagine that we're in Peter's hometown again, Capernaum. No public plumbing. Uh, this is a problem, right? The, the big cities did, but, but uh, smaller cities had nothing. So big rain, like everything's washing down into the Sea of Galilee. It's going through all the, the village, right? And all the main streets become a, not just from, from the animals, from people. This waste is just garbage and, and you can imagine the filth uh, washing down these streets, going down to the sea. Let's picture in this small town, Peter has Peter Jr. I don't know if he does or not. The Bible doesn't say a whole lot. I know he has a wife. Let's picture Peter Jr. Uh, coming out of Peter's house. Um, and he's, he's got up at 7 a.m. And uh, dad's been out fishing all night. And so he's waiting for his dad to come home. Peter's, Peter Jr. sees his dad on the boat often. So he makes himself a little boat. Um, and uh, has leaves, like a little sail on there. He's just three and a half years old. Gets down in the puddle, filthy puddle, now that's streaming, and sees, oh, I can make this boat go a little bit. So sets it in there, and he's filthy. It stinks. This is sewage. Just keeps playing in it. And then Peter gets off from fishing, Sea of Galilee, comes home, sees his son there, playing in the, in the sewer. Son, what are you doing? Dad, I made a boat! Look! It's just grimy. Stinks. Mud all over him. Son, 
an idea. Let me take you out of my boat. Let's go down to the sea. Let's take a few hours. Just leave that there and come with me. Peter Jr. looks down, sees the, the fun mud, the boat he made. Well, Dad, can I bring the boat? It's dirty. All right, I can clean that up. Come with me on my boat. You see Peter walk down the street. Little Peter Jr. walked behind him, following his dad down to the sea. I think that's the exact picture of what we find Jesus doing with Peter. Coming to him in his filth, his dirt. Follow me, Peter! It's not, it's not, a, it's not a setback in career. Peter looks at his boat, his life, full of filth. Oh, can I at least bring my boat? Sometimes the Lord lets us keep the boat. He cleans it up. This is what he's calling us to do. Today he's calling you to. See, following Jesus is taking up our cross, meaning dying to ourself. And that's a negative. Unless you don't, re- when you don't realize that ourself is playing in the latrine. That this is what life is, living for self. It's empty. You get to be 85 and you recognize, I lived myself my whole life. I've been playing in the toilet. I've been living for myself. And so Jesus calls you today to something grander. He calls you to the fresh waters of the Sea of Galilee. As your dad, he says, come, follow me, follow me. And I do believe often that means taking what he's given us and cleaning it up. That doesn't mean we all become itinerant preachers on the Sea of Galilee. That means we all take our calling, whatever it is, right? That means I need to say, Father, do you want me to be a pastor? And I had to do that, right? Do you want me to be a cat? Whatever it is that you've put in my hand to do, it's now dying to self and it's doing it for Christ. Because if it's whatever it is, live for self, it is, it's nothing better than playing in the sewer. And so Jesus reaches out to you today and as he asks you to deny yourself and follow him, I beg you to listen. This is the message of this book, the Bible. The garden is back. The king is here. And he's asked us to stop living for ourselves. And it's the only way you will have fulfillment in life is to start following the king. Enjoy his fresh water. Enjoy the scenes of Eden following him. And as I call you to follow him, I'm not doing it as if I were in front I've just left the puddle. We're all just late work. We kind of, some of you, maybe me, we kind of have it in our mouth because you've been eating the sewage. But we all leave it and we follow Jesus. We follow Jesus. It's not you following me and I'm following someone else and someone else is following someone else and, so, and finally someone's all the way up in the front following Jesus. No, all of us are right behind lockstep following Jesus in all our walk of life. So I'd encourage you today, bow to him, heads bowed and eyes closed.
let me appeal to you on behalf of Christ to present your life, your body, your soul. Because that's what is your reasonable service of worship. Consider the mercies of God. And, and just even now, as the mighty men poured out their water to their King David, let us all pour out the water of our life to King Jesus, saying, Lord, use me in any way you see fit. I follow you, holding nothing back, because I know your way is best. I'm, I'm tired of playing in my own dreams. I bow to you as Lord and King and Savior.